0: Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@StevensCreekChurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. All right. Good to see you guys here this morning. Feeling good? Yeah. Oh. Great place to be today. We're in God's house singing some great songs. How about a hand for the worship team? They've been amazing all morning. Got the best worship team ever to lead us in worship every Sunday. So thank you guys for being here. Thanks to those who are watching online, including our South Campus and our Dream Center experience and soon to be our Grovetown Campus, which is super exciting that this place isn't just a, a building. I mean, this is a movement, a movement of people that God's using to reach this whole community. And man, it's fun to be part of it. So welcome for part two of a series we're in called Think Like Jesus, where we've been exploring wisdom from the book of Proverbs, which is a book in the Bible It's all about practical wisdom for life. And to start out today, I heard a story about a young lady who used one verse in Proverbs in a very unique way. You see, she was part of a church and uh, in the young adults ministry at this church, and she was a, a single young lady, and a lot of the guys in this ministry were just interested in taking her out on a date. But she wasn't really interested in dating at the time. So she had to think of a way to kind of break their heart, let them down in a way that was kind. And so how did she do this? She used a Bible verse. So here's what she would do. They'd text her and they'd be like, hey, what are you doing? You wanna grab some coffee or something after church? And she would send back this text. She sent it over and over. And it would just say, you're so sweet. And then it said, Proverbs 17, 17. So she gave them a verse to look up And they were sure that this verse was gonna contain like her true feelings for them. This was like a coded message. And so they would look up Proverbs 17, 17, and it said this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for times of adversity. Here's why that's a coded message, guys. If a girl says you're a great friend, that means you're in the friend zone and there's a little chance that it's gonna go into a romantic direction, but there's a little chance. But if a girl says, I love you like a brother, that's right, you know, You some of you have heard it. The groan, it's like, this is not going anywhere. Now, if you're where I'm from in Kentucky, and she says she loves, loves you like a cousin, that could go either way. We don't know. That could be romantic, that could not, so we don't know. But brother for sure, it's so gross, I'm sorry, but brother for sure means, okay, this is not going anywhere. And so this coded message was really helping her out because it, she didn't have to didn't have to break their heart. she just kind of let them down easy, like, hey, bro, and, and they, they got the hint. But there was one time in particular where this backfired. You see, one guy in the church really liked her, and so he was sending those text messages and she was like, it's time, it's time to send him the brother verse. And so she sent, you're so sweet, he said, let's get together tonight, let's do something. She said, you're so sweet, typed in Proverbs 17, 17, but she was in a hurry and she left off one number of the verse. And so she didn't send him where she intended to send him. And so instead of sending him to Proverbs 17, 17, she sent this young man to Proverbs 7:17. 7, and you can imagine the look on his eyes when he read this. I have perfumed my bed. Let's drink deeply of love. Enjoy each other's sweet caresses. Stuff like this is in the Bible, guys. Like, I don't make this up. You can look it up. I have no idea if that story is true, probably not, but I heard it and I'm like, that's funny. That's making it into the Proverbs sermon. So we're in a series on Proverbs again, Think Like Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Proverbs was primarily written by a guy named King Solomon, who uh, God, you know, gave a unique amount of wisdom and then Solomon mostly used that wisdom to do good things, but he sometimes ignored the wisdom God had given him. And like all of us can do, he made foolish decisions and uh, so he wasn't perfect jesus is the only perfect one in the bible but but solomon did a lot of good including writing this book of proverbs for us that we can use for our wisdom 3000 years later but before we dive into today's message one quick bit of trivia about king solomon so we'll play a little who wants to be a millionaire with no cash prizes right now one question king solomon which of the following is true about him a he had more money than anybody else in the bible b he had more wisdom than anybody else in the bible other than jesus C, he wrote the lyrics to a number one pop song. D, all of the above. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to vote. You can just raise your hands or shout out, whatever you want. It's noon. There are no rules at noon. You guys do whatever. you. We're, we're. So here we go. A, who thinks it's A? All right, all right. Who thinks it's B? All right, a lot of B. Who thinks it's C? Okay, got some C. Who thinks it's D? All right, the answer is... D. What? See, Solomon had more money. He had more wisdom. And 3,000 years after he was writing stuff down, a group in 1965 called the Birds copied and pasted Solomon's word from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is the other book of the Bible that Solomon primarily wrote, right after Proverbs in your Bible. They copied and pasted it, put their own music to it, and it went all the way to number one. And just to prove I'm not making this up, I'm going to give you the first minute of Turn, Turn, Turn by King Solomon and the birds. Check it out. going from there. If you want the whole thing, it's probably a dollar on iTunes. But a hand for King Solomon. All right. That, it's, it's It's good stuff. See, the wisdom of the Bible is timeless. And 3,000 years later, it can go to number one. How about that? But even more importantly and impressively than that, God's truth applied to our lives. We can live out a life of wisdom with these timeless principles that God has given us. And it's a gift, a gift that the Lord wants us to have. In fact, that's the theme verse for this whole series. It's this verse right here. For whoever finds wisdom, finds life and receives favor from the Lord. God wants you to find wisdom. He wants me to find wisdom because he wants you to have life. He wants you to have favor. He wants you to know the principles that are gonna guide you to the best life possible. Now that doesn't mean your life's not gonna have problems because every life has problems. Jesus even said, in this world, you're gonna have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But as you face those troubles, God's wisdom can help guide you through. So today we're gonna focus this conversation on wisdom specifically about the words that we speak because wisdom is revealed in our words. Here's the first principle: One of the clearest indicators of a person's wisdom or foolishness is revealed in the words that they speak. This is one of the most common themes in Proverbs. It's one of the most common themes in the whole Bible. In fact, Jesus himself had a lot to say about the power of our words. In fact, this verse is a guy like me who has... Spoken careless words, this this verse is one of the most sobering verses in the whole Bible. Jesus said, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty or every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So our words matter. You know, Jesus, in another place, he was in an argument with, uh, with these guys called the Pharisees, who were sort of the, the legalistic rule makers of the day. And they, they said, oh, you and your disciples, you're eating the wrong stuff. You're eating things that are against the rules that make you unclean. And Jesus said, it's not the food you put in your mouth that makes you unclean. It's the words that come out of your mouth that make you unclean. Because the words that come out of your mouth reveal what's going on inside of you. And what's inside of you reveals who you are and what you believe. And so we got to be folks that have wisdom inside of us. So somebody posted this on Facebook just a couple days ago, and I'm like, oh, that really fits with what we're talking about this Sunday. They said, if you're walking around with a cup of coffee, and somebody bumps into you, and you spill the coffee, why did you spill the coffee? And people said, well, you spilled the coffee because somebody ran into you. They said, no, you spilled the coffee because coffee is what you had in your cup. If you would have had tea in your cup, you would have spilled tea. If you had water in your cup, you would have spilled water. But you spilled what was inside. And this is what Jesus is saying when out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That human beings, we're like tubes of toothpaste. When we get squeezed, it reveals what was inside of us all along. And so Jesus is saying, make sure that it's wisdom that's inside of you. Make sure that it's God's love and truth that's inside of you. So that when you get squeezed by life, that the right things spill out. The words, the words that God wants you to say are what comes out instinctively because we put it so deep within our hearts. So here's a principle: we've got to be very careful with our words, because once we've spoken words we regret, we can apologize for them, but you can never fully undo their damage. And all of us, in many ways, we've we've had words spoken to us, words spoken about us, whether they were positive or negative, that still are locked in our mind. And maybe when you were growing up, you had parents and coaches and mentors and people that just believed in you and they cheered you on and they said, you can do anything, you can accomplish anything, you're loved, I believe in you, I'm proud of you and those words, they just, they sunk deep into your heart and you started to believe them and others of us maybe had words spoken to us by those in influence over us that said, you're worthless, you're nothing, you're a failure, you're never gonna amount to anything and it's like we've been working so hard our whole life to prove those words wrong but even no matter what we do, there's still this little part of us that believes that's true, those lies are true And whatever was spoken over you, especially the negative, we've got to match it against the truth of Scripture because it's Jesus' opinion of us is the only one that really ultimately counts. And he says, you're loved. He says, I believe in you. And we've got to remind ourselves what God says about us because the world will sometimes give us the wrong messages. But even still, we've got to be careful the words we're speaking to others because our words, man, they matter, God created the whole universe. He could have done it any way he wanted, but he created the universe with his words. And then he created us in his image, showing that we've got power in our words too. The Bible even says so. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And we have the power to either build up or to tear down with our words. And we're called to build up. We're called to build people up, remind them of who they are in Christ, bring out the best in them, and to not... Not be negative with our words. The Proverbs, again, has a lot to say on this. With the words, with their words, the godless destroy their friends, but knowledge will rescue the righteous. So you can destroy people just with words, with speaking negativity. You can also destroy people with words of things like gossip. Proverbs say, fire goes out without wood. Quarrels disappear when gossip stops. So... Gossip is the fuel that keeps a lot of drama and negativity going. And as Christians, we're called to be the ones where, where gossip stops with us. But Christians, sometimes we're the worst gossipers because we can make it sound like a prayer request, right? I'll pray for Shirley. Oh, my goodness, pray for Shirley. She's having an affair, an affair, you know. I mean, I don't know that to be true 100%, but I'm pretty sure because I follow her on Instagram. And there's just one fellow. She likes his posts a little way too fast, and he likes hers. You know what that means, affair. And she dresses like a hussy. So you know she's just throwing herself at men. So just pray for her. Lord, I've said too much. Just pray for Shirley. Like that's not a prayer request. Come on, that's real housewives of something. Like that's, that's gossip, it's drama. And we've gotta be above, we've gotta be ones that just say, if we're gonna spread gossip, let it be positive gossip. You know, I, Shirley's, I, I love Shirley. She's great. She's, find something good to say about somebody behind their back if you're gonna say anything. Let it be something good. Because gossip is, you know, it's destructive. And so all of us in our words, we can have tendencies and habits to fall into some negative dynamics. We can get in a habit of gossip, maybe not even ever thinking that gossip's wrong. We can get in a habit of cussing because we just grew up that way and we grew up in a a culture around us that that's just normal words and so it became normal for us and we just think, well, this is how I talk, it's who I am. But then whatever it is that we do, whatever it is that seemed normal to us, Whenever we look at God's truth and all of a sudden that normal activity for us is now revealed as something that's outside of God's plan for us, then for us to continue willingly continuing in it, then we're willfully sinning and we're self-sabotaging ourselves and we're hurting whatever good wisdom God wants to flow through our lives because we're making excuses for things that we need to get rid of. And it's uncomfortable to get rid of stuff that we're used to doing. But all of us have things in our life that we need to constantly be monitoring and adjusting and saying, what in my life is a habit that's unhealthy? What in my life is a relationship that's unhealthy? What's a mindset that's unhealthy when God's called me to something better? And if I keep going back to it again and again, then I'm knowingly hurting myself and hurting others. Proverbs has stuff to say about this too. In fact, one of the most vivid and grossest verses in the whole Bible is really about this. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit, So a fool repeats his foolishness. Like that's in the Bible. God wants us to know, you know how gross it is when a dog pukes and then eats it again? That's what we do every time we sin and we know it's a sin, but we're like, I'm going to just do that one one more time. Just one more time. And God's like, you are as foolish as that dog. And the dog doesn't know better, but you do. Because dogs do some gross stuff, right? And I guess they always have because Proverbs is 3,000 years old. So I guess dogs were eating their puke back then too, but... I got a dog now. She still does it. She has not read Proverbs because she'll just prance in the room right in front of me sometimes and just start going urgh, urgh, and heaving. I'm like, don't. I got a weak stomach. Don't do it. If you do it, I'm going to do it. And then she'll do it. And she'll walk away feeling good about herself. But then she'll look back at it like, I could eat that. And she'll walk back and I'm like, no, you do it. That's even worse. You look at me and look at it and just be like, <laughs> it is so gross. Oh, gosh. Ugh. Cats are even worse. Cats. Cats just, like, look like they enjoy it. Like, they want, they want to gross you out. Somebody once asked me, Dave, like, just biblically, do you think there are going to be dogs in heaven? And I'm like, oh, I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure there will be cats in hell. I just feel like. I mean, I can't prove it, but it just makes sense almost. Like when you, you picture heaven and there are golden retrievers running around. And, but I picture that if you get to hell, one of the first things you're going to see is like... <sighs> <laughs> it just seemed demon-possessed to me. I don't know. I, just kidding. Cats are great. Don't send me emails. Cats are great too. Some of you right now are like, I'm never coming back to this church. It's talking about Mr. Whiskers. Listen, cats are cool. The point here is not whether dogs or cats are better. Point is, don't do what... You're better than an animal, okay? God created us in his own image. And so, we know better than dogs and cats and other things that do gross stuff. But if we're continually and willingly doing doing gross stuff, then, you know, we're we're harming ourselves. We're cheapening this God-given divine aspect of our nature because we're settling for something less than God has for us. And so... Think to yourself, what is that vomit that I keep returning to? What is that habit that I keep going back to? What is that place I go to for comfort that I know is actually hurting me more than it's helping me? What is that relationship in my life where I make a lot of compromises, but it's better than being alone, and so I just continue to stay in a really unhealthy place? Like, what, 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 is, what is it that if I stop doing it, that if I had the courage to really quit doing it, my life would be better? my life would be freer. I would have more peace. I'd have more joy. Like, what is it? Because God wants you to have peace and joy. He wants you to, he wants you to have wisdom. He wants all of us to have it. It's a gift he's offering freely. He's saying, don't settle for anything less than this. You know, stop, stop returning to the vomit. Stop going back to that stuff that's hurting you. And it will make a big difference. So, so we need to, move away from the, move away from those things that are hurting us so what else with our words do we need to do to live out wisdom we need to be listeners wise people listen to wisdom foolish people only want to talk i'm going to share two verses from proverbs about this and i want you to just think about even social media imagine how different social media would look if people considered these two verses before posting or commenting on anything all right Verse number one, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Ouch. And number two, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. And we're all tempted to this, right? You know, somebody posts something that we know nothing about. Like, I'm not a medical expert. I've never gone to medical school. But there's a part of me that when somebody posts something, it's like medical related, where I'm like, I know. I know. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna set everybody straight right here. I don't really know. Somebody's gonna post something about some political conflict happening on the other side of the world. I know nothing about where it's happening, but I feel like I'm gonna tell you the answer. You know, there's a pride within us that feels like I'm an expert on everything, and I gotta set everybody straight. And social media has become a place where we all do that to each other all the time. Like, like, and we would love to argue. We would just want to argue about everything. And that's not wise. You know, it's, it's not wise to just pick fights. It's not wise to always feel like we've got to have the last word and weigh in on everything. And when we read Proverbs, it's, it's saying, listen, we've got to be more about listening and learning and realizing we have a lot to learn than being the people that feel like it's our job to be experts on everything and set everybody else straight. Because we all have a lot to learn. I know I do. And humility says, you know what? I'm not an expert on that. Maybe I shouldn't even weigh in, or maybe I should do a lot of research before I weigh in, and then, as, and then when I do weigh in, I should do it with a lot of grace and love, understanding that the perspectives these other people are bringing are coming from, from life experiences vastly different from my own, and so I can't be an expert on their life and the, the set of circumstances that led them to this belief that might be a little bit different than mine, and it's not my job to beat them over the head with my so-called knowledge when all it really is going to do is create a wider gap between us, and God has called me to be a peacemaker. This doesn't mean that we never, ever engage in, in in disagreement. It doesn't mean that we don't take stands for things. But we live in a world where it's just gotten so out of balance. And it's like everybody thinks they have to be fighting all the time. And it's so unproductive. And it's so exhausting. And sometimes the wisest thing we can do is just, you know what? I'm going to turn off the news for a while. I'm going to turn off social media for a while. I'm going to pick up my Bible. I'm going to go play outside with my kids. I'm just going to, I'm going to pull away. We're the first generation in all of human history that has 24/7 access to every opinion in the world, every crisis in the world all the time. And we weren't meant to be able to process it. We're not wired up to process all the world's conflict and all the world's debate and all the world's stuff in in real time, 24/7. And when you try, you get stressed and you're not at your best. And so we've got to have the wisdom to say, God, help me right where I am to make a difference. Show me Show me the places where I'm meant to engage, and even when I do, give me the wisdom to do it with love and with patience and understanding, and give me the wisdom to be able to walk away from a lot of stuff, because it's not productive for me to engage, and I'm going to do more harm than good. And we've got to be careful, because just like the careless words we speak matter, the careless words we post matter. Like, the careless words we text matter. Like, it all matters, and so we need to be wise in the way that we're doing it, and we need to be we need to be listeners. There's power in listening. There's there's so much power in it. You know, this, this past week, we celebrated Veterans Day. And thank you, by the way, to all who have served on Veterans Day. Uh, it, it it was a day, yes, get, let's give a hand <laughs> to the heroes who've served. I had the, the privilege of doing the funeral for a veteran on Veterans Day this Thursday. And it was, it was just a great privilege to me because I have hold in such high regard those who have had the courage to serve. And I read a story this week about a veteran that helped me to think about listening in a new way. Uh, he, he had been a prisoner of war in Vietnam. His name was Doug Hegdahl. Uh, you can look him up online, but he had a fascinating story. He was captured in Vietnam at age 20, sent to a prisoner of war camp. And at the prisoner of war camp, they tried to interrogate him. They, they tried to use him for propaganda, but he just just wouldn't speak. Like he just didn't say anything. Uh, he would just kind of hum to himself. And so they came to the conclusion that he must be like really dumb. And they gave him these nicknames that he was just kind of the the village idiot, so to speak. And they're like, well, he's no threat because he's so dumb. So let's just let him wander around the camp. You know, he doesn't need to, we don't need to waste a cage on him. Just let him wander around. So he would just wander around, just kind of humming to himself, not talking to anybody. And they'd make fun of him and he would just kind of nod and smile. Well, after a while at the camp, They had to release somebody because it was part of this kind of propaganda that they were trying to do. And they're like, who's the least valuable soldier that we have here? They're like, how about, you know, the idiot over there that just wanders around? So they let him go. And once they let him go, uh, he he got back to, you know, to, to the American troops and he really started talking. He was like, yeah, I felt like the most productive thing I could do there was to listen and just listen and pay attention. So I didn't talk but I just listened a lot and I would hum to myself because I was memorizing the names and personal information of all 256 American soldiers who were being held captive there. And I'm ready now to tell you all their names and personal information. And I also wandered around the camp so that I know the layout so that when you stage a rescue operation, you'll know exactly where to go. And he said, they don't know that I did this, but I disabled a lot of their vehicles too, putting dirt in their gas tanks so they're not going to be able to chase after you. So he hummed himself to the tune, Old McDonald Had a Farm and he Sang through that 256 times and told him who was there. And it's like, Private Oscar Gomez from Austin, Texas, E-I-E-I-O. And over and over, name after name, he was just listening and paying attention. And because of that, he was part of rescuing all those guys. Now, most of us will not be in a position where, you know, our listening is a matter of life and death as it was for him and used in such an effective way. But all of us can have that superpower of just being a good listener. And I really do think it's a superpower Because when you listen to somebody, it communicates your love and your respect to them more so than almost any word you could speak to them. When you just listen. When somebody's going through a crisis and you show up and just listen to them, it matters more to them than anything you could say. When somebody loses a loved one or somebody's got a cancer diagnosis or somebody's just going through a divorce or going through something difficult, I think sometimes we avoid those folks because we think, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid I'm gonna say the wrong thing. You don't have to say the wrong, you don't have to say anything. If you just show up and listen, they'll never forget that you were there. It will make so much of a difference. You think about your own life, the most, those moments where you were at your lowest point. You probably can't remember all what people said to you, but you'll never forget who showed up, who was there, who was willing to listen. Because listening really matters. So you've got to be good listeners. And then when we do speak, not only do we have to speak with wise words, we have to speak with the right tone. Here's why. The tone of your words will shape the tone of your relationships. I didn't know that words had a tone until I got married. I thought the words were just words. But then I quickly learned tone changes the meaning of a word. And so, like, sometimes I'd say something, and Ashley would remind me like, a little bit of a tone on it, and I would think, "What does that mean?" You know, and slowly I've learned what it means that you've got to be kind in your tone because you could say the right thing, but if you say it in a cruel tone or a sarcastic tone, then that right thing becomes the wrong thing just because we don't say it with love. And so we've got to watch the way that we speak. We got to watch the edge that we put on our voice. We got to watch even even sarcasm. And I mean, sarcasm can be like funny banter between people, but it can It can destroy relationships when we just put an edge on it. The word sarcasm is from an ancient Greek word that actually means to tear flesh. Like it is damaging when we speak words that have that kind of rough edge to them. So we got to be kind. Here's what Proverbs say. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. So we need to have honey words. We need to have kind words. Here's a verse. This one verse could change Almost every conflict you have in your marriage, almost every conflict you have at work, almost every conflict you have online, if you want to diffuse, if you want to be like the bomb squad that instead of blow bombs up, goes in and diffuses that bomb before it blows up, here's one verse that could change your life. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Right? And we've all seen this play out in real life. Just be kind. Somebody's being cruel to you. You know how to diffuse that usually? Be kind. If nothing else, it confuses them, and then sometimes they'll chill out too. But when we choose to be kind or we choose to just diffuse the situation, there's a lot of power in that. There's certainly a lot of wisdom in that. All right, one more. Be an encourager. The world has plenty of critics already. Ultimately, what all this about wisdom in our words comes down to is the difference in being a critic versus an encourager. An encourager is one who, by kind words, by true words, Gives courage to others. That's what encouragement means. To like equip courage, to create courage in someone else by the words that you speak to them. Criticism takes courage away. It makes people think they can't do something. But encouragement lets them know through Christ you can do all things. So we need to be life-giving in our words. A person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. Life-giving or death-giving. Again, the power of life and death is in the tongue. A few weeks ago, Pastor Marty shared a story about a guy in the New Testament named Barnabas. And I want to like revisit that before we close out today because I think Barnabas is one of the real heroes in the Bible. You know, none of the books in the Bible are named after him. He didn't write any of them. Um, people don't name their kids Barnabas most of the time, even though it's, a, it's, it's really a cool name because it means like Mr. Encouragement. Barnabas wasn't even his real name. His real name was Joseph. But everybody called him by his nickname. Barnabas, which just meant like son of encouragement or Mr. Encouragement. The dude was an encourager, and his encouragement was such a superpower that it shaped nearly every word of our New Testament. Even though he didn't write one of them, he shaped all of them just by encouraging the people that were writing it. Here's, here's how it worked in a nutshell. It started with the Apostle Paul. Paul, the guy who wrote much of the New Testament. He started out not as a christian but really as a terrorist who was hunting down christians that's how he started his name wasn't even paul it was saul and after he got completely radically transformed by encountering the risen christ and giving his life to him um, his name got changed from saul to paul Um, saul when he got he got saved christians weren't real excited that he was now a christian they weren't excited to go listen to him preach because He had been, again, a terrorist who was hunting them down. So imagine like if Osama bin Laden was still alive and then he became a Christian and planted a church in Augusta, would you go the first week, right? Would you think this feels sketchy? This feels like it could be a trap. I don't think I trust him. He's got a little bit of a past. And that's how people were about Paul. They were like, I don't trust this guy. Barnabas is the one that came alongside him and was like, Jesus has changed his life. And Paul, don't listen to all these people that, you know, they're still mad that you were a terrorist, but Jesus has changed you and he has called you to something great. And He he's made you a new creation. And, and I just feel like Paul taking middle notes, like new creation, I can use that. I'm gonna write that down, I'm gonna share that someday. And Barnabas is the one encouraging him. Barnabas is the one saying, guys, come on, let's listen to Paul preach. He's a great preacher, he needs our support. Jesus has called him to this. And we can't hold him, we can't judge him based on what he was doing before he knew Christ. All of us were messed up before Christ. He needs us right now and really helped the community gather around Paul. And then he traveled with Paul on all of Paul's early journeys. They got imprisoned together. They got beaten together when they would, you know, be in a place that was hostile to the gospel. And Barnabas is the one that was not letting Paul get discouraged. Like, Man, don't get discouraged, Paul. I know we're in prison, but let's sing a song. Paul's like, what are you talking about? Like, and Barnabas really taught Paul what encouragement was all about. They eventually parted ways because they had been traveling with a guy named John Mark. Marty mentioned this as well. John Mark was Barnabas's young cousin. And we don't know all the details, but John Mark flaked out on him. Like they counted on him, they depended on him and he left when they needed him most. And so Paul's like, that guy's a loser. I'm never working with him again. And Barnabas is like, Paul, what are you talking about? You can't write people off. Everybody makes mistakes. And Jesus never just throws us aside, never defines us by a mistake. And Paul's like, I can't trust him. I can't work with somebody I can't trust. So I'm not working with him. And Barnabas is like, well, I am. I'm gonna gonna take him under my wing. So they parted ways. Paul went with Silas. They continued ministry. Barnabas came along, his young cousin, and said, man, I see so much good in you. John Mark's gotta be thinking, I'm a loser. Paul's the most important Christian in the world and he thinks, he's, he thinks I'm a loser. Barnabas is like, don't no, listen to Paul. Jesus is the only opinion that you need to worry about. And Jesus says, I believe in you. Jesus said, there's so much good in you. Jesus says, I'm gonna change the world through you. And I see so much good in you, John Mark. So let me help you get there. And he encouraged his young cousin. He helped his young cousin believe in himself and see himself the way Christ sees himself. Sees him. He starts introducing him to you know, all the other apostles and the eyewitnesses to Jesus. Like, hey, John Mark, there's Peter. Like, the Peter. Yeah, Peter, go sit with him. Let him tell you stories about Jesus. You know, that look, there's Mary. Jesus, mom. Yeah, sit down. She's cool. Let her tell you the stories. And he just began to write it all down. And I picture Barnabas saying, Mark, you're a really good writer. You know, you should write all this down like in, in one story. And so Mark, John Mark ended up writing the very first gospel, the gospel according to Mark. It was so good that Matthew, Luke, and John referred back to it when they were writing their own gospels. So that means all four gospels and all the writings of Paul, which which right there, that's like the vast majority of the whole New Testament. It was directly shaped because of one guy's encouragement, one guy whose name is not on any of it because he was encouraging the ones who were doing it. Guys, that's the power of encouragement is coming alongside people and just saying, I believe in you. You might not even believe in yourself right now, but I believe in you. I see the good in you. God has such a great plan for you. You're not defined by this mistake of your past. You're not defined by that bankruptcy. You're not defined by that divorce. You're not defined by that, whatever that issue was that you just wear as a label now, that's not who you are. That's a part of your testimony that God will use to help others who are going through the same thing. But what I see in you, is someone who's ready to change the world because God has put that within you. And when we speak life to one another like that, it changes the world. And maybe you don't have a Barnabas in your life right now. You're like, man, I could really use a friend like that. What the Bible tells us to do in those situations when we need encouragement, there's no one to give it. Bible says, encourage yourself in the Lord. And what does that mean? It means open up the truth of God's word, which is a message straight from God to you and let God tell you who you are. Let him tell you how beloved you are. Let him tell you that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Let him tell you that that he has got a plan and a purpose for you, that you're a new creation in him. Encourage yourself in the Lord and then take that encouragement and share it with others. And it'll become a superpower in a world full of critics choose to be an encourager. There's so much wisdom there. So if you came in here today with heavy load you're carrying, beating yourself up maybe, and I just pray that, that part of what God wanted to accomplish through this message is to remind you that He loves you, He is for you, He is with you. And He wants encouragement and wisdom to guide your way instead of criticism and negativity and whatever else you've been believing. And for you to take that wisdom and that encouragement and go out there and speak life in a world that desperately needs it, in a world that's so divided, divided in a world that, that is so just angry right now, to be someone that's speaking life and pointing people to Jesus, who's the only hope we have. Our hope is not our hope is not in money. Our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in any of the things that we tend to put our hope in. Our hope really is in Jesus Christ alone. And we need to be people who are pointing ourselves and pointing each other to the hope that can only be found in him because he is the road to wisdom. Let's stand together as we prepare to close. I just wanna say a prayer for you. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this incredible group of people that made time to gather together in your house today to worship and to learn. And I pray as we leave here today, we leave here today with hope, with encouragement, being reminded of who you are, who you say we are. For those here today that have never made that first and wisest decision of their life to put their faith and trust in you, let today be the day they say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me that I've lived my own way and it's been a foolish path, but I'm choosing the path of wisdom today, Lord. I wanna follow you. I wanna live for you. So make me into the person you want me to be. Adopt me into your family. And for all of us, Lord, even if we made that decision years ago, help get us back on the path if we've stepped off course. Help us get rid of that junk in our lives that's maybe holding us back from all you have for us. Help us to believe your truth instead of all of the noise in the world and help us to speak words of wisdom to the people in our lives who need to hear it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.